Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron, and I am one of your hosts today. The other host that is joining me is Danielson. Yo, what's up, guys? Now, before we start today's episode, I just want to say that no AI programs were used or harmed in the creation of this episode. The research for this show and all of its work was created solely by humans. If you would like to support the show, then there are a few ways that you could do that. Each week, we release a Patreon-exclusive episode that only Patreon supporters can get access to. To sign up, it's only $5 a month, which is only 16 cents a day. Not only do you get an extra episode per week for that $5, but you also get access to our entire back catalog of past Patreon episodes. In total, we have over 180 extra Patreon episodes. Damn! (laughs) Which is a lot of extra hours for your listening pleasure. Now, to see this full list of Patreon episodes, you can go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, click on the Patreon episodes tab, and there you will see an entire list of Patreon-exclusive episodes that we have published, which all of them are ad-free, by the way. Nice. Also, today we added another Patreon-exclusive episode, which is over Dogmen, which we go over what they are the history of the dogmen, some encounters, then some strange facts and findings about them, and then into theories and our own personal thoughts and theories. Now, if you can't afford a Patreon membership, but you'd like to help us out, then feel free to leave us a written review on iTunes or on Spotify, and that helps us out a lot. However, don't feel pressure to leave us one. If you don't want to, then that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, whoever or whatever you are to enjoy the show. And that is the end of the announcements. So today's episode is over the Sandown Clown. And how this episode will go today is that we'll first talk about the town of Sandown. And then we'll talk a little bit about Bephora. And then we'll get into the story of what occurred in the town of Sandown. And then we'll get into strange facts and findings theories, and of course, wrap it all up with our own personal thoughts and theories. So with that being said, let's get into today's episode. In May of 1973, something extraordinary happened that would forever blur the lines between reality and fantasy. As children played in the forest, an eerie clown-like entity slowly emerged from the depths of a nearby bridge, wanting to speak with them. (laughs) Did this entity truly come from an alternate dimension? A reality beyond our comprehension? Or was it only a hallucination, leaving us to grapple with questions that may forever dwell in the realm of the unexplained? In this exploration, we seek to unravel the mysteries that surround this captivating and eerie figure. This is the Sandown Clown. All right, so before we get into the story about what happened, we first need to set the scene and talk about the town where this took place at so that we can get a good understanding of the area. So Dan, can you tell us a little bit about the town of Sandown? Of course. So like Aaron said, this entire story takes place in the town of Sandown. Now, to give you a good visual of where this town is located, I want you to imagine England. All right, go all the way to the very south of England to its coastline. Now, approximately two to five miles off the south coast of England is the Isle of Wight. This island covers an area of 146.8 square miles and has a total population of roughly 142,000 people. Also, there are a total of nine main towns located on the island, most of which are along the north and east coasts. Now, on the southern end of the Isle of Wight is a seaside town called Sandown. 
And by the way, we have some images that show where this island is located at. So if you want to see these images, go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, click on today's episode, and every image that we talk about today is going to be located there on our website for you to take a look at. All right, so let's continue talking about Sandown. Now, for the longest time, Sandown was exclusively a military area. This was due to its beaches being accessible to potential invaders from France. However, in the 1800s, a railway was introduced and it transformed Sandown into a popular beach resort. Now, this area is a popular seaside town with a long, sandy beach, lots of restaurants and shops, as well as a wildlife sanctuary and even a dinosaur museum. So like most seaside towns, Sandown is super popular in the summer with tourists from all over coming to enjoy the view. In total, this town has a population of 11,654 residents who live there full time. And that is where our story takes place, in this small town of Sandown. Now, before we get into this story, we need to talk about one more thing. We need to discuss Bephora. So Bephora is the British UFO Research Association. It was founded in 1964 to investigate UFO reports around the British Isles. According to their website, they are a non-cultist and scientifically evaluative organization. So they're not a cult. Why'd they have to... I have no idea. I don't know why they had to say, hey, we're not a cult, but good for them. And I guess it's like us. We are not a cult. Yeah, it's debatable. And debatable. Yeah. Also, up until 2005, Bephora published a journal six times a year where they reported on various UFO encounters in the area, along with many other things. Now, why do we mention this Bephora? Well, an individual only going by the name of Mr. Y wrote into Bephora. Mr. Y told them about what had been happening to him and his family and provided documentation and details about these events. This Mr. Y also told Bephora that he wished to stay anonymous due to the fact that his daughter was involved in it and he wanted to protect her. So Bephora then looked into this story and was completely blown away by what they found. So in the January-February 1978 issue of the Bephora Journal, a story was published titled The Sandown Clown which, of course, that is our topic for today. All right, now that we know the area where our story takes place and when the first report was published about it, let's get into the juicy stuff and talk about what happened. So this story all starts on Tuesday, May 8th, 1973, at around 4 p.m. On this day, Mr. Y's seven-year-old daughter, Faye, was hanging out with a boy the same age as her, which. By the way, they never give the boy's name, so from here on out, we're going to call the boy Aiden. All right, so seven-year-old Faye and Aiden were hanging out together at Lake Common in Sandown. As the two were playing, they both began to hear a weird welling noise in the distance. Now, the noise was not like that of an ambulance siren. It was different. It was something that they had never heard before. Faye and Aiden decided to check out what the noise was, so together they started walking towards it. They followed the noise across the golf course and through a hedge that led into a swampy meadow that was adjacent to the Sandown Airport. It was at this point that the strange noise stopped. However, they continued to walk towards where it had previously been coming from. So as they continued walking, they ended up crossing a wooden footbridge over a narrow brook. It was at this point that they stopped walking. Both of them stood there, shocked and confused. A hand wearing a blue glove appeared from under the bridge. As they watched from a distance, this blue hand glove kept coming from out from under the bridge. Slowly, an entire hand appeared, and then an entire strange figure emerged from under the bridge. According to Faye and Aiden, a seven-foot-tall humanoid figure peered from under this bridge. It had triangular eyes, a brown square nose, and motionless yellow lips. The children described the strange being's cheeks 
and ears as being paper white. The entity was wearing a beat-up, tattered green tunic with a red collar, white pants, blue gloves, it didn't have any shoes on, and on top of its head was a pointed yellow hat. This hat was adorned with a black knob directly on top, along with a series of what appeared to be wooden antennas on the sides. Also, the hat seemed to lock into place at the collar of the tunic, which made the children think that it might have been a hood rather than a hat. Under the hat, its hair was brown on top with red on the ends. Another thing that the children mentioned is that the humanoid's arms and legs looked like wooden slats, containing only three fingers on each hand and three toes on each foot. Also, you know how we mentioned that this figure had triangular eyes, brown square nose, and motionless yellow lips? Well, the children also stated that they could not tell if those were its actual facial features, or if it was just part of a mask or helmet of sorts that had those features on it. Faye and Aiden stated that as this figure walked out from under the bridge, that it was carrying a book in its hands. As it slowly walked along the brook, it ended up stumbling a bit, and the book in its hands fumbled around and fell into the water. The being then splashed around in the water, trying to retrieve the book. Oh, Butterfingers over here. Afterwards, the children watched the figure continue to walk along the brook in a strange hopping motion with its knees raised high. Eventually, the figure entered into a metallic hut, which they stated was similar to those used on building sites, except that it had no windows. It was at this point that Faye and Aiden decided to leave the area and head back home. However, only a few moments later, when they were only 50 yards away, the strange noise that they had previously heard returned, and this time it was so loud that it was painful for them. The children turned around and noticed that the sound was coming from the metallic hut that the figure had entered into. At that moment, the figure reappeared from the metallic hut. The children noticed that he was carrying a black-knobbed microphone with a white cord attached. At this point, due to the loud strange noise and the strange-ass humanoid figure, both Faye and Aiden were freaked out. Aiden decided, Faye, you're on your own. I'm out of this bitch. Aiden then took off running. However, the strange noise stopped and the figure held the microphone up to his mouth and spoke. Now, even though this entity was pretty far away from the children, both Faye and Aiden stated that they could hear his voice as clearly as if he was right next to them. The children stated that what he said to them was in a friendly tone, and he ended up saying, Hello? Are you still there? Aiden stopped running, turned around, and walked back to Faye. At that point, both Faye and Aiden started walking towards this humanoid figure. As they were walking towards it, the figure opened up his notebook and wrote inside of it. The figure then held the notebook up, and in large letters, it said, Hello, and I am all colors, Sam. The figure then pointed to each word that he had written, and Faye read it out loud. The children continued walking closer towards the figure. The humanoid asked the children about themselves. It is worth noting that Faye did state that when the creature talked, he did it without the aid of the microphone. Also, the humanoid's lips did not move when he spoke, and his speech was sort of hard to understand. It was described as sounding like that of a person who does not open their mouth properly. All right, so the children continued walking towards the humanoid as he asked them questions about themselves. The children also responded with questions towards him. They asked him about his clothes, which had tears in some places. The humanoid figure told them that he only had one set of clothes, so he could only wear these. Now, Faye thought that his strange white face looked really odd, so she asked if he was really a man. The humanoid figure sort of chuckled and said, No. Faye then asked if he was a ghost, in which the humanoid figure said, Well, not really, but I am in an odd sort of way. Faye then asked, What are you? 
the figure responded with, You know. Faye and Aiden stood there confused at that answer. The humanoid figure went on to explain that he had no name and that there were others like himself. He then opened his notebook and drew a rough sketch of one of them and stated, this is what they look like, and showed the sketch to Faye and Aiden. The humanoid figure went on to tell Faye and Aiden that he was frightened of people because they might see him and try to hurt him. However, he stated that if he was ever attacked, that he would not fight back. At this point, the children had walked all the way up towards the humanoid figure and his hut. The figure then decided to invite them into his metallic hut, in which the children decided to go in. However, the way the children entered the hut was not through a typical door. They had to crawl through a flap to get into his hut. So when they stated that, it made me think that there might have been like a doggy door. That's exactly what comes to mind, doggy door. And they uh, crawled through it. Hmm. Once inside, the children stated that it contained two levels. The lower had plenty of headroom and had blue and green wallpaper that had a pattern of dials on it. The hut also had an electric heater and simple wooden furniture. The upper portion of the hut was less spacious and the floor was metallic. After looking around a bit, the children made their way back to the lower floor of the hut in which the figure told them a few more things about himself. He stated that for food, he eats berries that he collects around the area, usually in the late afternoon, so that no one can see him collecting these berries. The being then went on to tell the children that before he eats a berry, that he performs what he calls a conjuring trick. He then went on to show this to the children. The being placed a berry in his ear. He thrust his head forward and caused the berry to disappear and reappear at one of his odd-looking eyes. He would then thrust his head forward again, and the berry would then travel to his mouth, where he would then chew it up and swallow it. After showing the children his trick eating berries, he told them that he drinks the river water, but only after he cleans it. He then stated that if the area ever runs out of berries, that he had a camp on the mainland of England that he could go to. The children continued to talk to this strange being for half an hour, then told him goodbye. The children left the metallic hut and rushed across the bridge, through the swampy meadow, and through the hedge. As the children made their way past the golf course, they came across a man. The children ran up to him and told him that they had just seen a ghost. However, the man blew the children off, not believing anything they said, and the two continued running back home. Now, it is worth mentioning that Faye and Aiden were convinced that this strange being that they spoke with was either a ghost or an extraterrestrial. Now, even though they believed that, after the children had seen how the first person they told dismissed their claim so easily and looked at them as if they were like crazy, that person on the golf course, it sort of upset Faye and Aiden. So they decided not to tell anyone about their experience so they wouldn't be labeled as crazy. However, a little over three weeks later, on June 2nd, 1973, Faye decided to tell her father, Mr. Y, about the experience. At first, he didn't really believe Faye, suggesting that she had made it all up, in which this upset Faye even more. However, as she continued telling the story, he was amazed at the amount of details in it. After his daughter told him about her experience, Mr. Y decided to contact Aiden in order to get his version of the story. Mr. Y stated that Aiden was not easy to communicate with. However, he was able to get a statement from him, which verified everything his daughter said really did happen. Now, even though it might have seemed that Mr. Y was skeptical of his daughter's experience and was doing all of these steps to verify if it was the truth, it was not because he didn't believe her. That was not the case. It was because he was sort of freaked out. Years prior, Mr. Y had a similar experience and did not tell a single soul about it. And that is what we're going to talk about right now. What happened to Mr. Y years before his daughter experienced the strange humanoid figure. Now, Mr. Y's story starts three years before his daughter's. On Tuesday, October 20th, 1970, at around 7 p.m. That night, Mr. Y was driving from Shanklin to Ride, which are both towns located on the Isle of Wight. 
Mr. Y was driving along the coastline, heading towards the town of Ride to see his friend. He passed through the village of Brading and turned right to St. Helens. Right after he turned, Mr. Y noticed a large, multi-lit craft in the sky that was to his right about halfway between the road and Bimbridge Downs. According to Mr. Y, the craft looked enormous as it continued flying low over the swampy terrain. Mr. Y eventually stopped his car and watched the strange craft stop moving and hover over the swampy margins of the river. At this point, Mr. Y stated that a wide ring of seven or more lights appeared, each of them being a large, clearly defined sphere that looked like a bright red cherry with a turquoise and white light on it. Mr. Y also stated that these orbs and the large craft were not emitting any sound at all. So Mr. Y decided to continue driving towards his friend's house. As he drove away, the larger multi-lit craft that was hovering in the sky flew parallel with them. Once Mr. Y reached the outskirts of St. Helens, the craft stopped following his vehicle, cutting across about 300 yards behind him. The UFO then descended slowly, hovering above the distant trees, with its lights rotating slowly. Mr. Y once again decided to stop his vehicle. He then got out a torch and tried to wave it towards the craft to see what it would do. I love how they call it flashlight torches. Yeah. Mr. Y waved his torch, a.k.a. flashlight, in which the object seemed to stop hovering in one spot and started weaving back and forth. After doing this for 10 minutes, Mr. Y decided to get back into his vehicle and head to his friend's house, since it was already close by. Upon arriving at his friend's house, he noticed that the red lights were still there in the distance watching him. Mr. Y decided to leave his vehicle's rear lights on to face the object. So red lights with red lights. Yeah, trying to like communicate with them. Now it is worth mentioning that Mr. Y's friend did come out of his house to greet Mr. Y, in which the friend noticed the craft in the distance, in which he stated that it was playing hide and seek between the treetops. After he was done visiting his friend, Mr. Y left and drove back to ride, in which the odd lights in the distance disappeared and he was not able to see them anymore. So following that incident, Mr. Y started to notice that almost daily there would be single spheres of red lights in the sky that would hang stationary or follow him as if they were checking his movements. He stated that this really didn't bother him much, and he sort of got used to it. However, Mr. Y stated what occurred to him on March 1st, 1972, was one of the most frightening things he has ever experienced. So on that day of March 1st, 1972, between 9 p.m. and 10 p.m., Mr. Y was sitting on the cliffside at Compton Bay. As he was looking at the sea, just enjoying the view, an unexpected urge overcame him. He was forced to stare at one specific area in the ocean that was 40 feet away from him, and he could not look away. During this moment, the water in that area started surging and the tide started going out. Within the depths of the ocean, the outline of a large underwater craft that looked like a drone of sorts started appearing. Mr. Y stated that a few seconds later, two yellow lights appeared on the underwater craft. They peered up at him like eyes of some horrible sea monster hovering below the surface. Mr. Y was terrified but frozen and could not look away. Eventually, the tide came back in and Mr. Y was able to look around normally. And with that happening, he ran back to his car and drove home. Now, only a year later is when Mr. Y's daughter, Faye, would have her own strange encounter, which we talked about earlier. So due to Mr. Y's encounters that he had, he sort of sympathized with Faye. They kept their story pretty much quiet and then five years later is when Mr. Y decided to write into Afora, telling them about the encounters, which of course they published the story in their journal. Even though this story is pretty strange, it did not receive news coverage. No one seemed interested in it, and due to that, the story pretty much is rarely talked about. Until here recently, when this entire UFO craze started picking up. Individuals have started looking through old UFO encounters and this story has become more popular due to how weird it was. 
So there you have it. That is the story of the Sandown Clown. Now, before we get into the theories as to what this could have been, we are first going to hop into some strange facts and findings that we uncovered while researching this topic. So the first strange fact and finding that we're going to cover today is the location where Faye had seen the humanoid figure, along with his metallic hut. So Faye did tell her dad the exact location where it happened, and Mr. Y stated that he visited the spot. However, he could not find any metal hut anywhere near there or any indication of there ever being a metal hut there. So it was at this point that we decided, hey, we're going to see if we could go on Google Earth and try to find the location ourselves. So upon going on Google Earth, we zoomed in with the satellite and found the golf course in Sandown. And that golf course was located right next to the airport. In the story, the kids say that they followed the noise across this golf course and through a hedge that led into a swampy meadow that was adjacent to the Sandown airport. In this swampy meadow, they came across a wooden footbridge that was over a narrow brook. And this is what we began looking for. We wanted to find the general area of where this took place at. So we ended up finding the Sandown Airport and the golf course. And in between them, there is a location where it's a swampy area. Now, the satellite photos that we pulled from Google Earth are from 2019. And if you want to go to our website, you can see these photographs that we took. And we ended up highlighting the area which is the approximate location of where this could have taken place at, which I zoomed in as far as I could and looked over every inch to try to see if there was a brook or anything. And I couldn't find anything from 2019. So at that point, I decided to start pulling historical satellite photographs of this region. And I was able to get a satellite photograph of the area from 1945. And you couldn't really zoom into it and really see the details, but you could clearly see where the airport was at and that where the golf course was going to be and then the swampy area. But again, no bridge. And then the next satellite photograph was from 1985 and it was from Landsat. However, what's really odd is that this entire photograph of that area from 1985 was all blurred out. And I took a screenshot of it and we'll provide that one as well. You can see it's all blurry. It's all blurry. At least they have the roads or whatever kind of outlined for it. Yeah, but everything else in that area is completely blurry. Yeah. So after that, I went to see when the next satellite photograph was taken. And that was on December 31st, 1998. And they labeled this as the photograph from 1999. And surprisingly, it's a very good satellite image for being from 1999 or 1998 to 1999. In this one, you can still see the golf course on the right-hand side. You can see the airport on the left-hand side, but still no bridge, nothing. Hmm. So yeah, we weren't able to locate the exact location of where this took place at, but we were able to get a general idea of where it might've took place at. And if you want to see all those satellite images, like I said, you can go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, and click on today's episode. Which, by the way, another thing I want to add, when I was looking at satellite photographs of this town of Sandown, if you look at the very first one that I posted from 2019, look in the bottom right and tell me what that says. National Poo Museum? Yes. The National Poo Museum. It is a shit museum. So in the middle of Sandown, is the National Poo Museum, which is dedicated to the collection, conservation, and display of feces from all over the world. Is it really about poo? Yeah. That is weird. Yeah. Like, why? I don't know. Okay, then. So that was our first strange fact and finding, which is over the satellite images and us trying to find the location. Now, the next strange fact and finding that we're going to talk about is over an individual named Leonard Cramp. So as we were looking into the Bephora January and February 1978 original issue, which is the one that published this Sandown Clown incident, we came across a very interesting paragraph 
that was listed alongside the Sandown Clown incident. So this paragraph stated, I am indebted to Leonard Cramp for advising Mr. Y to write to me concerning his own and his daughter's experiences. Now this paragraph led us to start looking into Leonard Cramp. And even though he published multiple books and wrote in multiple articles in his lifetime, we had a very, very difficult time finding information about him. But what we did learn is that he is a retired aerospace engineer who turned into a pioneer UFO researcher. He ended up writing multiple books about UFOs. And another thing is that he lived with his wife on the Isle of Wight. Now, another interesting thing that we learned is that he wrote a few articles in the FSR. The FSR is the Flying Saucer Review, and it was a British publication. Now, back in 1961, he wrote an article that was published in May of 1961, FSR Volume 7, Number 3. The headline to Leonard's article was called The Cosmos, Expanding or Orbital. Now, this article itself is very long and we don't have time to read the entire thing. However, we do want to mention a few things that he talked about. At the start of this article, Leonard states, and we quote, The recent news of a major contribution to the expanding universe theory has stimulated wide interest among the general public. This surprising reaction is surely indicative of the increasing space consciousness of the thinking population. How much of this is the result of the stepped-up space program and how much can be attributed to UFO activity is largely speculative. But the fact remains, the interest in cosmological affairs is increasing. Slowly, a significant pattern is emerging. Young people often display more than a little inquisitiveness about the outer void. More children take for granted that they live on a huge ball surrounded by space, whereas only a few years ago, this concept would have been difficult to grasp even for adolescence. In the light of all this, one cannot help but wonder what quickened strides would be made if the scientific world would loosen just a little bit its restrictive thinking. If only for a moment it would admit to the truth and other less sought-after explanations. The current news of this latest major scientific conquest is typical of the restrictive technique. The public is lulled into believing exactly what it is told without even the hint of the existence of other equally valid, though less known, hypotheses. So Leonard goes on to talk about multiple theories that scientists have been talking about. And this was in 1961, okay? And he even proposes his own theories. Now, something else that we do want to mention is that in this article, Leonard theorized that sound can play a role in an unexplained phenomenon. And I know this might sound weird, and you might be wondering, why are we talking about Leonard? Just please stay with us here because this all connects, okay? So tell us a little bit about what Leonard talked about regarding vibrations, Dan. All right, so Leonard states that the sound is caused by vibration coming from a device. And these vibrations surround the air molecules and vibrate them, which in turn vibrate the receiver, which is the human ear. Maybe the different frequencies of vibrations cause tears in space-time and allow certain things to cross over or allow us as humans to see things that we do not normally see. So that is what he hypothesized, that vibrations and sounds at a certain frequency cause tears in space-time or in our dimension and allows us to enter into a realm or dimension that we normally don't have access to. Or allows stuff to come through, right? Yep, vice versa, yeah, to go in or have stuff to come through. And we found it strange that Leonard would mention sounds along with that theory in 1961. And then in 1973, you have Faye and Aiden who ended up hearing that sound that leads them to that strange individual. And I want you to keep this in mind because I'm going to go back to this whenever we get to our theory section, okay? Okay. All right. So let's talk about our last strange fact and finding. All right. So the last strange fact and finding comes from Mr. Y. 
Now, in the Before a Journal, Mr. Y gives his own opinion on what his daughter experienced. So Mr. Y says, and we quote, I get the impression that Faye was somehow taken into a bubble of alien reality created by this strange being. This being told them that he had just made the hut. Also, Faye told me that while they were talking to this quote-unquote ghost, two workmen nearby were repairing a post. These workmen paid no attention to the weird charade as though they could not see it. And that's what Mr. Y stated his theory was, that Faye and Aiden were taken into this like alien bubble reality that this being created. Hmm. So pretty much it goes to what uh, Leonard was talking about, that terror in space-time? Sort of, yeah. That he was using this sound to create this tear in space-time. Sort of like a bubble that the kids could travel to. You know, when we first started reading the story, you know what came to mind? What? Hansel and Gretel. Hmm. Okay. Very interesting. It is. And it takes us into our next section, which we discuss theories involving this story. So do you want to tell us about the first theory we have? So the first theory we have is that Sam, a.k.a. the clown, even though he said that he does not have no name, Laia was truly <laughs> an alien. The humanoid figure had been secretly living among us humans, but hiding because he is scared of getting his, you know, ass whooped. People see him. Oh, he's different. Whip his ass. I mean, welcome to the real world. So maybe the humanoid figure is living in some bubble of reality that he created. Somehow these kids crossed over into that bubble and experienced his world. It's an interesting theory to think about. What if there are these bubbles of different dimensions that these entities create and how they cross over is through sound and vibrations that cause sort of a tear or a mesh of their dimension and ours? Hmm. It reminds me of the movie Vivarium. Have you seen that? Yes. It's about that couple who goes to buy that house in this neighborhood where all the houses look the same. And uh, spoiler alert, the house is located in like this alternate reality that these aliens created. And this couple raises this child that is pretty much an alien, but wearing a, a skin suit of a human and shows this child how to act normally. And then the child grows rapidly. I mean, like within a year, he's full grown. And uh, he goes out into the normal world. And that's how the aliens were slowly integrating themselves into yep. society. Yep. That is actually really smart. Mm-hmm. I think I only know the, that movie because you told me about it before. I don't think I've actually seen it. You haven't seen it? You spoiled it for me. I can't watch it now. <laughs> we're watching it. We're watching it, some bitch. All right. It's so good. So let's get into our next theory, which is that this humanoid figure was really a ghost, a sort of wandering specter. Now, the only reason we mention this theory is because when Faye asked the humanoid figure if he was a ghost, he said, well, not really, but I am in an odd sort of way. I have a tough time believing this thing was a ghost. That's what was bothering me before is that asked if it was a ghost. So that means it must have had some like ghostly attributes somehow. Because why would she just straight up ask like, are you a monster? You... I guess it looked so strange to her and she's never seen anything like it before that she asked if it was a ghost. So it was a little footbridge over a brook, which mm -hmm. a brook is like a small little stream. Mm -hmm. Considering how, I don't see that footbridge being extremely big. So I'm guessing she would have asked if it was a ghost because of how small the footbridge might have been, that it would have been like a magic trick. You know how like clowns, they all pile up into one vehicle? That makes sense since this being was said to be over seven feet tall. Yeah, so I don't see a small stream having an extremely big bridge. Maybe the bridge was where he had his uh, tear in the dimension. Could have been. And he crossed over. Hmm. Well, let's get into our next theory. Dan, tell us about it. All right, so this next theory is called shared hallucination. So this theory states that Faye and Aiden's encounter was known as shared psychosis or shared delusional disorder. With this theory, we have to assume that Faye has a mental disorder and made all of this up in her head. Another thing we have to assume is that Faye and Aiden were close friends. 
Now, with shared delusional disorder, if you have a close friendship with someone who is delusional, you are more likely to believe the delusions. However, once the two are separated, the other individual, not the mentally ill one, stops having the delusions. Yes, and stops believing them. So the scenario would be Faye being close friends with Aiden. Faye also has a mental disorder. They go out one day on a walk, and Faye makes up this elaborate story and tells Aiden it. He ends up believing it. They separate, and Faye tells her dad. He goes to ask Aiden about it, and he is reluctant to say anything, but then agrees that everything Faye said was true. However, it was not. It was all made up by Faye, and they shared a hallucination or delusion. This theory falls under my belief of mass hysteria. I hate that theory, and I hate how so many people use that as an explanation for the unknown. And I feel like this falls underneath that category, and I hate it. I think it does fall in that category. And I don't know, like, I'm guessing when Mr. Y questioned Aiden, he must have asked certain specific questions and Aiden got it right. He did. He did mention that one of the questions that he asked Aiden was that how many fingers and toes did this being have? And he said, well, it had three fingers on each hand and three toes on each hand. And it was that detail that Mr. Y decided, oh, Okay, well, he's got the details down, so Faye must be telling the truth. Hmm. Which, I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so let's get into our next theory, which is called prank. So this theory states that the entire story was all made up as a prank by Faye. Now, this theory is supported by the fact that we know children get bored, and when they get bored, they make up stories to entertain themselves. Also, children have a vivid and wonderful imagination. You take all of that into consideration, then maybe this entire thing was a prank that Faye pulled on her dad. But he took it seriously because of his own prior experience that Faye had no idea happened to him. So there's that theory. I mean, I kind of want to go with the whole prank thing because as I'm thinking about this and how they were describing the Sandown Clown, Sam, it really made me think of like a scarecrow. Mm-hmm. And I was going back looking at the map, the maps that you had uh, screenshots of, and it looked like there were two fields to the northwest. There's a big farm there too. So I'm thinking that they crossed through the golf course into the swampy meadows. I'm going to assume that it was somewhere up north that they were crossing because it was still adjacent to the, the airport that they end up making it to the field. And then that's when the kid's uh, imagination with the scarecrow kicked in. Like, oh, this is an interesting looking scarecrow. Yeah, makes sense. But uh, (laughs) I like this next theory. All right, let's see what this next theory is. So this next theory is called interdimensional cryptid. So this theory states that Sam, the Sandown clown, was actually an interdimensional being. Somehow, as the children were walking around, they came across an area where dimensions were bleeding over. Due to this, Faye and Aiden were able to see and interact with Sam, the Sandown Clown. So kind of like what we talked about earlier. Yeah. Except he wasn't an alien, he was a cryptid, an interdimensional cryptid. And that's where all the other cryptids come from, other dimensions. This happened in 1973. Okay, so that right there reminded me of the Montauk Project. And I just remembered my very, very first Theory Thursday that I ever did. God dang, that was a long time ago. It was about Bigfoot being an interdimensional being that was brought through by the Montauk Project. Yep. Now, not saying that, you know, there was a Montauk uh, experiment going on around there, but, I mean, if it's an interdimensional cryptid that, you know, bled over. I mean, you can't forget, this area was exclusively a military area for the longest time. That's true, yeah. And they didn't allow any of the public there because they were afraid the French was going to invade that area. I mean, that's same like uh, Montauk Island. Yep. So, I mean, maybe they had a chair there that they were testing. Mm-hmm. Maybe. All right. So, let's get on to our last theory that we have, which is called human. So, this theory states that what the children came across was not a cryptid. It wasn't an alien or a ghost, but it was actually a homeless person wearing a mask. Now, I know that sounds crazy, but hear me out. Let's think back to his clothes. They were all tattered, which usually happens, I mean, when you're homeless, 
Okay. Another thing is that when Faye asked him if he was a ghost, he answered, well, not really, but I am in an odd sort of way. Maybe he meant that since he was homeless, no one looks at him and ignores him. So due to that, he feels like a ghost. Now, I know you might be wondering, what about his metallic home? Well, what if the metallic home was just a tent? They crawled through the flap, the children did, which is how you open a tent. And I mean, when you're a small kid, everything seems bigger. Also, Mr. Y looked for remnants of that metallic building, and he didn't find any. And if it was a tent, I mean, and he packed it up, Sam did, it wouldn't really leave any evidence of being there. So you take all that into consideration, maybe he was just a homeless man. I mean, but you got to think, though, when the kids went in there, they said it was multi-leveled. There was a bottom floor, then the top floor. The top floor had a metallic flooring, so I'm guessing they were able to go up to the second floor. Which is odd. That's, that's one of the roadblocks in this. Hmm. Honestly, the way you said that about him being homeless and no one looks at him and such, kind of reminded me of the exorcism of that guy where he... Jesus Christ, what, what exorcism? It's the one that I did a Theories Thursday on. And for like a couple years, he oh. didn't like, he couldn't like speak or anything and people just kind of ignored his ass. Yeah, the one you did a couple weeks ago on Patreon. Yeah. Okay. So they pretty much just ignored his ass and then finally one day they just got fed up like, all right, we got to get this guy help. Yeah. So I mean... That right there kind of sounds like that, where they just kind of ignored him, pretty much treated him like a ghost. Hmm. I mean, I could see it actually being a homeless person. Maybe it wasn't a tent, but maybe a... A van, maybe? Did they have vans that were multi-levels? Not that I know of. No, because if it was a van, how would he be able to get it in there? Driving it would leave tire marks. Yeah, I mean... I don't know, man. It's a this is a tough one. And I guess that rolls us into our own personal thoughts and theories now. So I have to ask you, Dan, do you believe the children experienced a humanoid figure that day? If so, what was it? When I say humanoid figure, I don't mean like a specific type. I just want to know if you believe that they really saw something that day. Something that was living? Anything. I don't know why, but I still I feel like it's some kind of scarecrow. There is a farm nearby, very close by. And you are right. They could have seen a scarecrow, and then made up this elaborate story in their head. If you go back to the drawing of the Sandown Clown, I mean, it's very weird looking, but just the way the legs and stuff were and the arms, I feel like someone just made a very elaborate scarecrow. Yeah. Now, granted, I don't know why it would have a microphone. I think that part was made up. I think the kids made that part up because they said when it talked, its mouth didn't move. Yeah. It's weird. It is weird. And like, considering it had a weird looking mouth, it put a berry into its ear, thrusted his head forward. Now it's in its eye. Then he did it again. Now it's in his mouth and he's chewing it. I, 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 I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. But then again, a kid did tell the story. That's why I was going like Scarecrow with a very elaborate uh, imagination. Makes sense. And I've sat here and I've thought about this story nonstop, trying to figure out what it could have been. It's usually the most simplest explanation. And the scarecrow is a simple explanation, but I have an even simpler one. And I like the homeless one. I do. I like it a lot. But that is not as simple as the scarecrow. But there is something that's more simpler than all of those. I think this entire thing was made up not by the children or Faye or Mr. Y. I think it was made up by Leonard Cramp. All of it. The entire story was all made up by Leonard Cramp. He wrote it and ended up submitting it as Mr. Y. And the reason I say that is because when I looked over the writings of Leonard Cramp, and I read his writings and how he talked, and then I read the submissions, they're very similar to Mr. Y's. And then when you start looking at throughout the years from 1961, going all the way forward, Leonard wrote in the FSR, and he wrote in Bufora about these sightings that didn't even happen. So it kind of makes me wonder if he was just doing this as a way to help push his book sales or to popularize UFOs so that people would look into it more and buy his books 
because in 1961, in the very first time he wrote an article in the FSR, if you can remember, he was criticizing the scientists saying, you need to have a more open mind to the possibility that there is something out there that we don't know about. So I think it was all an agenda by him to push the public's awareness of UFOs so that he could get more book sales. Hmm. That's where I'm going with. I could definitely see that. Let's see here. Case solved, closed, you're welcome. <laughs> Just kidding. So he was retired. Good luck finding anything about him. It was very hard to find the stuff that I did find about him. Very, very hard. I'm almost 100% sure he passed away in 2006. 2009. 2009. He was born in 1919. There's that theory right there I have that I'm going to stick with. But there's another theory that I wanted to mention that I thought was kind of funny. Instead of it being just a homeless man, what if it was like a poor street entertainer or like a circus clown that was just like, man, f*** the circus. I'm going to go live by the brook and read my book. Maybe he was a poor street entertainer and instead of like sleeping in the city and such or in the town where people would judge him by stuff, he probably did have a tent and was living by the brook where he has, I don't want to say fresh water, but could have been, could have been fresh water. Yeah. Then he had berries. As much as I want it to be an extraterrestrial from another dimension or something along the lines of the unknown, if I had to stick with one, I'm either going to say that he was a homeless person or that it was all made up by Leonard Cramp. I could definitely see the made up by Leonard Cramp for the fact he's retired. He has multiple books out. Mm -hmm. Maybe the book sales were not that good. Maybe he wanted to bring more awareness to the UFOs. That into his book so he could sell since he's retired. Who knows how much money they had left and whatnot. And he did live on the Isle of Wight. That is true. With his wife and they were probably just living the life. Maybe he just needed more money. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, if you or a loved one have experienced the Sandown Clown and would like to tell us your story, please send us an email to Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at theoriesofthethirdkind.com or Dan, D-A-N, at theoriesofthethirdkind.com. We would love to hear about your experience. Dude, 100%. Let us know if we're wrong about this shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's a scarecrow. <laughs> All right. Well... So do you have anything else you want to add to today's episode, Dan? Not really, other than the Sandown Clown looks really weird. It does. Very weird. Yeah. All right. Well, that is the end of the episode today. I want to thank you for joining us. And again, thank you for your support. You are all amazing, every single one of you. So Dan, do you want to roll us out? Sure will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you are not alone. <laughs>